0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The text on which we will be reflecting today is the text that's written uh, that was read to you from Acts chapter 5 earlier. I'm going to reread some of those verses and add one extra verse at the end. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious And wanted to put them to death. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In his book, Reclaiming Patterns of Pastoral Ministry, Jesus and Paul, author Jonathan Grothy argues that when and where in the Bible we see Paul in ministry imitating Jesus in ministry, then whatever it is that Jesus and Paul are doing, that is something that we who are in ministry, and who hope to be in ministry, should probably plan on doing in our ministry as well. I like that. I think it's helpful. Which is why I make you all read Jonathan Grothy's book when you take P101 Pastoral Ministry. Imitating Paul when and where he's imitating Jesus is not a bad pattern to follow. I wonder then, when I read about the first century church and her leaders, if we could extend Grothy's argumentation to Peter and his ministry. In other words, if we see Peter in ministry imitating Jesus in ministry, then is that a pattern we should be following in our own ministries as well? It's an interesting proposition especially when it's applied to the section of book, to the section of the book of Acts that we're looking at this morning. Because one could make a pretty compelling case that here Peter is doing exactly that. He's imitating the ministry of Jesus as he conducts his own apostolic ministry. Just take a look. Just as in the ministry of Jesus, many miraculous signs and wonders are performed among the people, so also many miraculous signs and wonders are performed among the people by Peter and the other apostles. Just as in the ministry of Jesus, more and more men and women are believing in the Lord, so is happening with Peter. Just as in the ministry of Jesus, people long to be close to the one who is healing them, The same is happening in our text. Uh, Remember the woman with the flow of blood who stretched out her hand to touch the hem of Jesus' garment? She just wanted to get that close? Likewise, here in our text, people are lining the streets with the sick so that Peter's shadow might fall on them and they be healed. Just like in the ministry of Jesus. Crowds in our text are gathering, bringing the sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and the Lord is using Peter to heal them. In other words, we see in the ministry of Peter the same kind of excitement, the same kind of signs and wonders, the same kind of attractional, spirit-driven care of and longing for the souls of people that we saw in the ministry of Jesus. And just as the ministry of Jesus led others to be jealous of him and to oppose him and to arrest him and to threaten him and to plot against him, so too we see those same things happening in Peter's ministry. It would seem then that the ministry of Jesus recapitulates in the ministry of Peter. And that being the case, I wonder if those same sorts of things should be recapitulating in our ministries as well. In other words, if we in ministry should behave like Peter in ministry when he's behaving like Jesus in ministry, then how are we doing? Better yet. How are you doing? Are you investing in the lives of others like Jesus and then Peter did? Are you bringing hope and healing to hosts of people? Whom are you helping? How are you being received? Are people responding in positive ways? Are you highly regarded by them? Are more and more men and women believing in the Lord and being added to the number of the elect because of your ministry? Are you making the right people healthy? Are you making the right people jealous and angry? Whom are you obeying? Whom are you courageously confessing? You know, as director of resident field education, I get to read lots and lots of reports. Hundreds of them, as a matter of fact. And in so doing, I learn a lot about you all. I get a glimpse of your hopes, your dreams, your desires, and your aspirations for ministry. Most of the time, I am greatly encouraged by what most of you are saying in most of those reports. It is clear to me that you are consecrating and committing yourselves to this ministry. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. I also get a glimpse of some of the ministry issues that concern you. To a man, I would say that you all want to be faithful and effective in all of your God-given vocations. I read how you want to find and maintain balance in ministry. You want to be good husbands and good fathers and good sons and good preachers, and again, amen, hallelujah, praise God. Balance is a beautiful thing. but the way you sometimes talk about getting it and keeping it sometimes concerns me. You write how you don't want more than 135 to 150 people in worship on an average Sunday, because this way you can serve them as well as they want to be served. You can keep them happy, and thereby you can keep them happy with you and then you'll still have all the time you need to spend quality time with your wife and children. You see somewhere along the line you heard that it takes an average Sunday worship attendance of 121 people to pay the full time to pay for a full time pastor salary and benefits. So you imagine an average Sunday attendance of 135 to 150 is just about right because it gives you a cushion. Somewhat bigger than 121, but not too much bigger so that you can manage it. You want the security of a regular paycheck and medical benefits for the good of your dependents, of course, and you'll do what's necessary to maintain that lifestyle. You'll work to keep your 135 to 150 people in church because you have so many vocations to juggle. You can't afford to have ministry demand too much. You must keep the plates in the air. You need balance. My brothers in Christ, We anxiously seek for balance in ministry so that we will have peace in this life. We labor to keep loose ends tied down, surprises suppressed, and messes to a minimum. We manage ministry to maintain control. We avoid the impulsive, refuse to take risks, and perpetuate the predictable. And as time goes by without realizing that it's even happening, we make a deal with the devil. We become the company of the comfortable, the army of the anesthetized, the legions of the lazy, and all because we do not want our calling, our profession, our ministry to cost us our balance, much less our lives. Watch out. Because this looks nothing like Peter in ministry imitating Jesus in ministry. Instead, it looks like the predictable, neat, tidy, inoffensive, meek, mild, milk toast, limp-wristed kind of ministry guaranteed to make your wife publicly proclaim, Wow, my mother was right about you. You see, it was on the shores of the Sea of Galilee that Peter was greeted by a fire, some fish, and a risen Christ. This is the first time that we know of since Peter's denial and Jesus' resurrection that the two of them have been alone together. Three times Jesus asked, do you love me? Three times Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Three times Jesus responded, feed my sheep. Three denials by Peter the night that Jesus was arrested and now three invitations from Jesus to join him once again in the family business. Were you ever put in timeout and then invited back into the group? Were you ever benched because of poor play and then put back into the game? Have you ever let someone down and yet they turned around and trusted you anyway? Peter excluded himself. Jesus took him back and it changed Peter's life and ministry forever. Having brought the disciples, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. We must obey God rather than men, Peter shot back. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things. When the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But that did not intimidate or stop Peter, because Jesus took him back. He's taken you back, too. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.